This account of Josiah, whenever he came to the throne, a young boy of eight years old. I think this young boy of eight years old has more intelligence than a lot of people we see in Washington right now that's been there for years. (laughs) But the reason that he was so exceptional was because his heart was centered on the things of God. And it's miraculous as you begin to look at it that when he ascended to the throne of Judah, Judah was entering the closing period of its history. And we see in this section here, God's grace poured upon a nation that deserved his judgment and judgment was coming. But we see a light shining through the darkness that prepared people for a little period where God could move in their lives. He steps into the position of power. And get this, after 57 years of the darkest, most evil period in Judah's history, a young boy, his father, well, his grandfather was Manasseh. And there's no worse ruler that she will find or leader in Israel than this king, Manasseh. He was the son of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, when he was dying, prayed to the Lord to give him more life, and he did. Well, it was during the years that God gave Hezekiah that Manasseh was born. You know, there's some prayers that would be well if you didn't pray and they weren't answered (laughs) because this period of time that Hezekiah was given, Manasseh was born. he, He was... He was one that delighted in serving evil and hated the very mention of God. That's hard to understand in a nation where that God had led them out of Egypt, given them all of the oracles, the law that he placed in their hands. And God said, I will bless you. He would never leave them. He would provide for them. And as you read the history of Israel, you see that God miraculously stood before them and brought enemy after enemy in total defeat. It's kind of like when Israel, during the six-day war, remember when they had 40 to 1? 40 tanks to one Israeli tank, 40 soldiers to one Israeli soldier, and God gave them the victory. Impossible odds, but God is the God that makes the impossible possible. But 57 years, because Manasseh reigned for 55 years, Ammon, his son, took the throne, and he reigned for two years. So 57 years of the most evil rulers that you can imagine. Manasseh had full control of the whole situation when he was in on the throne. In chapter 21, you can read some of these things for yourself. We won't go through the whole detail. But in chapter 21, we have a description of all the dark practices this man engaged in and promoted. It was his manner of life. It was his his call, if you please. And it all centered around the works of darkness. Worship of Baal. Asherah was a central Canaanite goddess that he worshipped. He worshipped all the hosts of heaven. The stars was a force in guiding people's lives and future, according to this belief. You know, it's astounding as you 
Look at this papers today that has the horoscope in it. Did you know there are people that will not make a decision or move until they open the paper and read what the horoscope has to say about them, how they're to react, what's going to happen. It, it dictates their life. They, they give themselves over to that. We've come a long ways today, folks. <laughs> we think that we're sophisticated and that we are intelligent and, well, we have all this scientific technological things that we are engaged in and yet do you remember Nancy Reagan that she consulted one of these people what they ought to do wanted to tell her husband how to do things after she consulted this medium well this was a common practice with this man also this man desecrated God's house by building altars to worship his false gods in the very temple that God had said I will place my name it's there that I will meet with you this man burned his son as a living human sacrifice and offering to the God that he served did you know that we do the same thing today I was looking on the line that, to see just how many babies had been aborted. Did you know it's over 60 million babies that we have sacrificed on the altar of humanism and convenience? It's the same God that these people offered their sons and daughters to, to appease them. He used fortune tellers, omens, mediums, necromancers, those who contact the dead. He was in all of this. This was his mode of life. And this man had reigned as co-regent with, with Hezekiah for 10 years. And he saw how God had blessed Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly man. He turned the nation around. God used him mightily. And he saw all of these things Yet he turned his back on the truth and followed the lie of demons. There's an interesting scripture in Deuteronomy 32:17. It says, "They sacrificed to demons that were no gods." That's what people are doing today. They are turning their back on the true and living God, and they are sacrificing themselves to demons. It's active today. We haven't got away from this. It's all around us. Another mark that was against Hezekiah, or not Hezekiah, but Manasseh, in 2 Kings 21, 16, it says, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides the sin that he made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then in, you, you find that in the 24th chapter, it tells us that God would not pardon the innocent blood that had been shed. And I think you can mark it down, folks, that God has not pardoned the innocent blood in our nation. This nation is going to pay for it. We're on the brink of it right now. 
God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he wouldn't pardon the innocent blood, this innocent blood it talked about here, are those that lived godly lives that opposed Manasseh's reign and what he was doing. Tradition says that Manasseh sawed the prophet Isaiah in two with a saw, killed him that way. He would not tolerate anybody that would stand in his way that was an obstacle to his reign. But it says God would not forgive the shedding of innocent blood. It said that it, it, it ran like rivers in Jerusalem. And it's beyond calculation the, decay, the, the damage such a man can cause with so many years in power. Fifty-five years and then his son followed in his exact footsteps for two years until he was assassinated. And today you and I, we, we're blessed in, in a way, in many ways in fact. We have a president in office for four years, eight years at the most, and he can be you know, told to hit the road. And we've seen the damage that these men that move into this office, if they're without principle or moral conduct, with purposes that violate the office they hold, irreparable damage in just four or eight years can be accomplished by these men. This man ruled for 55 years and his son in like manner for two years. So when Josiah came to the throne, he had this before him that he had to overcome. Eight years old, just a what? Just a little boy, and the thing of it is that God was not silent with all this that was going on. Jeremiah thirty-five fifteen says, "I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way, and amend your deeds, and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I give you and your fathers, but you did not incline your ear or listen to me. All this time, God was faithful, and he's faithful today, folks. There are people being saved, not only in America, but in places that you wouldn't think the gospel was reaching. But because of the radio broadcast, the satellite communications that we have, people are being saved in, in countries where that Islam is the predominant religion. And if you accept Christ in these countries, if they don't kill you, you are ostracized from your family you're no longer a part of it but people are seeing Jesus Christ he is appearing to folks in dreams men are hearing him through the printed page seeing reading and understanding radio broadcasts are going on continuously and people are being saved and here in America people are being saved God is faithful And what these people did not know at this particular time was that they were getting ready to travel, folks. God had warned them over and over and over again to repent. And as Jeremiah, we just read, they refused to listen to him, to the message God was putting forth that they might be converted in their hearts and repent and turn back to God. 
because of the judgment of God that he was going to send upon the nation. They were getting ready to travel and they didn't know it. They were headed for Babylonian captivity because the land was theirs on one condition that was obedience. And this they failed to do. In 2 Kings 21, verses 10, listen to what God says here, 21, verses 10 to 13. And the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done these things more evil than all that the Amorites did and who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them unto the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. God is, when God gets through cleansing a country, purging the land, he wipes it clean and God says, I'm getting ready to do this. Prepare. And you know, not only was Josiah, the young man, ascending the throne with the heart and attitude that he wanted God to be first in his life. Think about Daniel. Think about the three Hebrew children. Think about all of those that were faithful. They were carried away when this country fell, or Judah fell, came in and took all of them to Babylon, carried all of these people to Babylon, Sometimes God's people are caught up in the judgment along with those that deserve the judgment. Don't think that we can escape it. They didn't in Germany. They didn't in other places. That's why we need to be walking with God so that whatever takes place, we will be ready knowing that God has, for this time and this season, God has placed us here. We are, this is a, this is a time that God has placed each one of us here in this situation in America and we can be the light that America so desperately needs but God was going to clean the house thoroughly there would be nothing left when he got through but the thing of it is judgment was on hold Josiah Ammon's son was placed on the throne after Ammon was assassinated God's mercy and grace always precedes his judgment he gives man the second chance I'm afraid to touch the stand it's, it's kind of wobbly it's almost like I am <laughs> but in 2 Kings 21 1 and 2 it says Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem and in 
first part of verse 2, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That's amazing, folks. You know what? If you turn to the right, you become like the Pharisees. You become legalists. And you, you follow a legal set of rules without the heart being involved in it. If you turn to the left, you become a liberal. <laughs> Anything goes. And we know what the Pharisees... Isn't it interesting that you had the Pharisees in Jesus' day, that they were the strict legalists. They thought that by just in everything they did to weigh it, first of all, to see if it was legal and right. And what was legal and right to them was what men had said, not by God's word, but what the, the things that men had placed alongside God's, God's word and actually became more binding than God's word itself. They couldn't travel but a certain distance on the Sabbath day. They had ways of getting around that. They would go before the Sabbath day and rope off areas that according to the tradition that they were in gave them the ability to journey further than what the law had laid down in God's word. But this young man, he kept his eyes upon the Lord. He had some good influence along the way. It wasn't his father. It wasn't his grandfather. I don't know whether it was his mother or who it was. Maybe it was some of the men that took him under their wing and they began to train him for the position that he would assume after his father Ammon stepped down from the throne. They didn't know he was going to be assassinated, but he was. So that placed this young man in line to step up and, and rule from the throne. So God opens the skies of heaven and the sun shines in on this dark and dreary situation that we find Judah in. And whenever Josiah came to the throne, he knew the condition of the temple and these men that were around him and were counseling him and tutoring him in the things of God, he became aware that the temple was in disrepair because Manasseh had gone inside the temple and erected all of these altars and these images to the gods that he served in the very house of God and it was it was it was a total mess so Josiah was concerned about the repairs and the restoration that need to be made on the temple and so he calls out some of his leading men and commands them to go Take the money that is set aside, go to the high priest, take this money, and give it to the workmen, the carpenters, the masons, and all that were in the process of repairing the temple. Give it to them and let them do the work. He wasn't even concerned about the bookkeeping method that they used because he knew that these men that were working to repair the temple were trustworthy. He said, just give them the money. They will do the job. Don't even ask for receipts and what have you. Let them do the work that God's called them to do. And so in the process of tearing out the garbage that was there, the defilement, the abominable things that were visible and to anyone that walked in the temple area, they discovered a book of the law. I read that one time. I thought, how amazing. 
Here they are going through all the rituals, and they are busy doing, there were those that were serving God faithfully, but they were doing so by what they thought God wanted them to do. And so when they were going through and repairing the temple, tearing things out, they found a book of the law, or a scroll of the law, as it really was, a scroll of the law, which the law is referred to in the, in the first five books of Moses as the law, and that's the book of Deuteronomy. And so when they found this, it had been hidden because Manasseh, no doubt, had tried to destroy all the evidence of God in the kingdom. So they had hid this copy of the law, and when they found it, they bring the book of the law to this young king, and they read it to him. Now remember, he hadn't, he hadn't had the law read to him. He loved God and he wanted to serve him, but he did not have the law of God before him. And so whenever they read it to him, the word of God not being used in the house of God, it was hid. And you think about it this morning, there's a lot of churches that are active today that have the parking lots full. And the word of God is not being proclaimed as the word of God. Men are stating what they want to give people to make them feel good that will bring the crowds in, make the congregation grow. They will not tell people what God requires of them. Easy believism is what people want to hear today. And this very morning, I wonder what that big cathedral in Washington where they always have the bodies of the president or high officials laid out and they, you know, you can file in and you can view the coffin with the flag over it and the honor guard there and what have you. I wonder what they're preaching this morning. <laughs> From what I hear coming out of some of these these seminaries and some of these big churches, they were, the other day, you know, the, the um, I think we brought this forth on Tuesday night, that the delegation from Africa, the United Methodist Church, came over here, and they were voting on the legalization or the changing of the bylaws of the church that would enable them to bring into the pulpit people that were homosexuals, lesbians, or whatever. They wanted to open it up. These people that had, had missionaries come to them in the past, they voted against that. They said, we want to stay the Word of God, the way it's proclaimed in the Word. We don't want your new revelation. We want to abide by what God's Word said. And they defeated it. And now then some of the leaders in the United Methodist Church, they're all upset because they thought they were going to have a shoe-in amendment to their, their church rules. But these people say, no, we don't want your new understanding. We want the, the word of God, and we're going to abide by that. So I don't know how that's going to go, but it was interesting as we looked at that. But whenever they brought this book of the law, and I'm sure this young king was sitting on the edge of the throne wanting to listen to what God's word actually said, when Josiah heard these words, his reaction was instantaneous. It smote this young man to the point that he literally broke down. He tore his clothes. 
And he wept before the Lord. He repented before the Lord, for he saw what the nation had done and what it was still doing. And so he, he wept. And he got together his headmen, and he says, You go down to Hulga, the prophetess, and inquire of her about what we've just read. And so they did. They, they went down to her. And, you know, during this period, Jeremiah was active. He was, he was preaching. He was prophesying as the prophet of God. And so he goes to her, inquiring of what God was going to do. What should we do? And this is what she told the men that came to him. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. That's pretty scary stuff when you stop and think about it, what God was going to do to these people because they had violated his commandment. The section of scripture that was probably read that smote the king's heart in such a manner was Deuteronomy 28. In our Bibles, they had a scroll. They didn't have verses and chapters like we do. But in Deuteronomy 28, you can write it down and read it for yourself. Gives the promise of blessings. How we like blessings. Praise God that he's moving and we're seeing his hand bring forth great and marvelous things. Promise of blessings God gave to his people. But then in chapter 28, verses uh, 15 to 68, are the promises of the curses that God would bring to a disobedient people. I remember Judah had been disobedient and it smote them. And so she gave, she didn't hold anything back. She gave them the entire truth of the matter. And so if we go down to chapter 23, verse 1, the king began to react immediately. The king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him, and the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets of all the people, both small and great. He called the entire country to come into this particular gathering because he wanted to do something and wanted God to move. And it says this, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of his covenant that were written in this book. And it says here that all the people joined in. Revival took place under this man's ministry at the very beginning of it. But there's there's another side to this. There were those that with their voice gave consent to the covenant that was made and said, we will do likewise. But they were half-hearted in it. 
They, they weren't sincere. And folks, we can't fool God whenever we come to him and we, as people, we see people come to the altar. We don't know what has really transpired there. At the Billy Graham crusade, you had hundreds come up before the the podium there where Billy was preaching, making an indication they wanted to receive God. But they said that probably out of all of those that came up, that maybe only 9 or 10% actually committed themselves to the Lord. The other was just a spontaneous thing of the moment. It was an emotional reaction. Well, these people, they all consented to what Josiah had said, and Josiah meant in his heart the words that he spoke to God and the covenant that he made with him. And the storm that was coming seemed to be pushed back. God was giving a period of grace. God was going to do something during this time and that grace was extended. Some those of here uh, that were here that said we'll do the same, we'll do what what Josiah has said, we'll commit ourselves the same degree that he has stated. But as as you go on in the scripture, you'll find that only a short time later, many of these people reverted back to the same old tired story of bowing down to false gods and images, which God forbid, they turned away. Someone said that if some of these people, if this was revival in some of these people's heart, it was a mile wide and an inch deep. It had nothing there that was was deep enough to really convert them to serve the true and living God. But what Hezekiah does, he begins, I like this guy, he is a man of action. He just didn't hear what was going on and explained, have explained to him what was going on. He saw with his eyes and he began to move. And he began to tear things up and burn those items that were in the temple that had defiled the temple. He took all the the vessels of Baal out, the Astra, and all the hosts of heaven. It says he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. When we come to God, folks, we can't leave an item that we cherished in the life before we give, we came to Christ. Whenever you come and you bow before him and accept him as Savior, anything that is a hindrance had better be burned, put aside, and done away with. Don't leave anything there that is a temptation to draw you back into the life you had before you came to Christ. So he burned all of these things. And he, it says that he broke down the, listen to this. He broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes, the women who wore wove hangings for the Astra, and this was in the house of the Lord where these people were practicing all these things. And he made a clean sweep of the whole deal that was going on there. God was moving in such a way through this man. And you know something? It just didn't stop 
with Judah. It says that whenever he burned all of these things, broke down the altars, all the poles that represented idol worship, and cast the dust of them into the brook of Kidron, and the king defiled the high places that were cast out of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had built for Ashtoreth. There's another thing that is hard to wrap your arms around. Here Solomon had introduced idolatry by all these women that came in and catering to their ways of belief. He, he, he started the thing that is being, con, being uh, taken care of here by Josiah. He did all of this in the south. The southern kingdom, Judah, and then he went up to the north to the altar of Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. And he destroyed that because a prophet had said that there would be one that would come that would pull down the high places and burn the bones of those who had offered to this idol in, in, in Bethel. And so he fulfilled the prophecy that that prophet had made. He took care of the problem that was in Bethel from south to north. Now, can it be proven that these people didn't wholeheartedly on that day that Josiah stood at the temple and made a covenant with God? Can it be proven that they actually didn't commit themselves to God? And the answer is yes. Write this down and search it out for yourself. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. Let's read that. The Lord said to me in the days of Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? How she went up to every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought after she had done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Remember, the Syrians had come in there and taken care of the northern nation. She saw for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah had not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree, yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah, listen to this, This is speaking of those that were standing in the temple making that covenant like Josiah. We will do as the king has said. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart. They reserved in their heart. They had a special place for the idols that they had been worshiping all these years. They enjoyed that. That it's almost unbelievable to know the 
degradation, the moral degradation that went on. The reason people like to serve these idols is because the sensuality of that worship, they could do anything they wanted to, and they did that. If you liked to drink, you had the, all the drink you wanted. If you liked women, you had all the prostitutes you wanted. Male prostitutes, homosexuals that Josiah got rid of. But Isaiah, I mean, Jeremiah says, For all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart. Now listen to this. But in pretense, declares the Lord. We don't feel God, fool God, folks. Whenever we say something to him, he sees the very depth of our heart. He knows whether we mean it or whether we're just proclaiming it for show. Are we just trying to make an impression on those around us? Or are we really doing what God has called us to do and giving our whole heart unreservedly to him, to serve him, to be a faithful follower of his? And I'm not saying that any person here or anywhere else lives a perfect, sinless life for the Lord. We all have times when we need to go before Him and repent for things we've done. Remember, we're still battling a fallen nature that we inherited through Adam. And we have to battle that every day. We have to bring it into subjection to the Spirit of God. We have to know what God would have in our life, and we have to present it on the altar to Him. And then God can do the work. We cannot play games with God. We have got to mean what we say. In 2 Timothy 3.5, it tells us that having a form of godliness... That means they are plain. They are hypocrite. You know what a hypocrite is? It's, it's like the movies where that they have a have a mask of joy. They have another mask you put on when you play the other part of sorrow or a villain or whatever. Those people are just playing a part. They're being hypocrites because they're. I'm not saying that in the bed bad way but they are playing something that they're not and that's what a lot of people do whenever they come to the Lord they walk away having a form of godliness and they're playing their part they look like the real thing but they aren't Paul gives us a warning and we're going to close with this it might be just a little bit early but we're going to close with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 11 and 12 read down in the last part of that says if any man thinketh that he standeth take heed lest he fall that's a warning to us that we if we're living and we feel confident take heed don't become careless and fall some good advice Josiah gave us in that the reformation took place and there was a period of light when that God's word flourished people were saved but then at the end of that they reverted right back to what they had always been doing and you know what 
the judgment came. God's mercy was given, in his mercy, was given them the last chance, the last gasp, if you please, of breath. And they could have continued on, but whenever they went back to the old way of life, God said, that's it. Judgment will not be, be stayed any longer. It will come, and it did. And they were carried away. Daniel, three Hebrew children, many others that loved God went into Babylon. And, and, and that's not all bad either. Think of the wealth that we have from the Daniel being in the court of this heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar. And with all the things that went on there, they worshiped the same bunch that Manasseh worshiped. And yet, these young men were faithful. And folks, we can be faithful even whenever things are in the darkest and falling all around us. We can be faithful because God gives us a power and a strength that's not of ourselves. It's of Him. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning that You hear us. Uh, When we pray to You, Lord, there's not one person that's least in the kingdom of God They cannot come to the throne of grace and bow down before you and pray and be heard by you and the prayer will be answered. Father, you never forsake us nor do you leave us. And as we look at what's transpiring in our nation, we wonder, Father, because of the iniquity and because of turning from God, we wonder how long it will be before your judgment is pronounced on this nation. We are so much like the nation of Israel. They had at the beginning the word of God given to them. And in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, Moses told them that they were not going to be in the land very long, that they were going to fall away from God, and God would pull them out. And Father, this nation was founded upon the principles of Scripture. And they came over for the purpose on the Mayflower and various other vessels to worship you according to what your word said, not according to what a state church had proclaimed. And Father, we've had the word that spread throughout our land. We have heard it over and over again. Light has been given to us like no other nation except Israel. And we're doing the same thing that they did. We're playing. We're playing a game of Russian roulette, really, in, in reality, because we're saying that judgment will never fall on us but just like that one bullet in the chamber you spin it around soon it comes under the hammer and the hammer falls and judgment does come father we pray for this congregation we're so thankful for these people and the privilege of worshiping with